You want to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5? That's where we'll be tonight, Romans 5. I wrote my little, my little notes here. Hold on. There it is. All right. Teen night, March 27th, 5 to 8 p.m. Join them for that. Scavenger hunt, bonfire. Are we still doing the piece out there? Mousetrap cars, is that what we're doing? Oh, man. I've been, I've been going online, and I've been getting designs. We're going to win. Mousetrap cars, so make those, bring them. Uh, women's luncheon, April 2nd, that's coming up. Um, well, not, you know, close. Uh, that's from 1030 to 3. There's a sign-up sheet in the back for that if you want to get signed up. We'd appreciate that. Garage sale, May 27th and 28th. If, if you're new and you don't know what that is, well, I mean, you know what a garage sale is. You're not an idiot, but... Um, what we do is you take anything you want to get rid of, and we, we set the whole church up like a giant garage sale inside, a little bit outside, and uh, everybody kind of knows we do this every other year, the world, I mean, the, the Maryville knows, and so they come, and they and all the proceeds, everything that we get for it um, goes to, it's going to this year go to um, David Spencer's uh, Africa ministry that he's got over there, and uh, so that's, where, that's what's happening for this garage sale, and we'll do that every other year, so if you save up your stuff, the really good stuff, you know, and then bring it. Um, we don't take any of the money, but the money all goes to a nonprofit. And so this year it's, it's going to be David Spencer's. So if you want to save up and bring that stuff, that'll be, we'd, we'd appreciate it if you wait till May 26th to bring it Thursday, because it's hard to store all that stuff and still have church services on Wednesday and the Sunday before, you know. Um, but I understand sometimes that's not possible. You can't all just show up on Thursday. So we have some space in our garage out back here. Uh, and then we can also find a room in here that we can put some smaller things in. But um, it helps us out a lot if you can bring it the Thursday. And then there's setup that day and night. So we take everything down, move it all into places where people don't think that, you know, the drum set's for sale and stuff. And uh, we set up tables and we organize and, and like a little army of ants, we get this done. So... Um, if you want to join us for that and sign up for that and help with, with that, that'd be great. We'd love it. So, all right, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for um, this wonderful book of Romans. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide, that you'd help us to quiet our hearts and help us to have ears to hear. Um, we appreciate Paul's heart and desire to give the full gospel, the full understanding of what Christianity is to these Romans. Whether they were Jew or Gentile, he tries to explain it and um, for us, we're so blessed to be able to read it and have it in our hands and to go over it and over it and over it if we need to. And uh, we pray tonight that you would teach us something new that we maybe haven't read before. Get, give us the basics. Uh, reassure us of our salvation, our faith, and, and uh, the mechanics of it all, how it works, how, how we can stand in this grace. Help us to understand tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So many stories this week of different things. I'm I'm trying to I try to save up my stories for like when they're appropriate for the text or whatever. But man, this week was so busy with with we would call them chance encounters, but we otherwise you as a Christian you call them divine intervent you know divine uh, meetings and appointments and things like that. Just some amazing things happened this week, and I uh, so many ways to apply. It. I'll try to do just a few of them and try not to get too many of my stories into the one teaching here, but. Um, wow, I, I learned a lot this week from the Lord. Because some of you ask me, how does God speak to you? You know, well, it's audibly. He shows it. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. I wish. Wouldn't that be great? Um, you know, but it's, it's, it's in these moments. Uh, for example, I'll give you an example. Um, 
yesterday uh, ran into, uh, well, didn't run into, sitting with my daughter on the couch, but ran across a video of someone named Kurt Cobain. I don't know if you know who he is. Lead singer Nirvana committed suicide. And um, we had just been kind of talking, I was thinking about and talking about um, worship songs and all that stuff. And this video came up um, and it was very melancholy. It was, very, it was, a, it was a, a very slow um, acoustic version. And if you know anything about Nirvana, they're, they're not necessarily acoustic, <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, and so I, I let Mariah listen to just part of this song and just wanted her to see the comparison. She goes, oh, why do people make music like this? You know, kind of thing. And, and I said, well, that's the difference. That's the difference between the worship you know and the songs you know to your God who's full of love, grace, hope, peace, all these things. And this is someone who doesn't have any of that. And I explained to her that she, he committed suicide. He killed himself because of the depression, because of the lack of Christ in his life and all. It was, it was moments like that. And that comes up in the study tonight. That's how God speaks to me, those moments like that. It's like, um, why would that? So I'm studying tonight and, and I'm listening to a, another brother who teaches and I you know, check myself and I'm um, listening to him. And, and all of a sudden, as I'm studying for tonight, chapter five, he goes, and you know, it's like Kurt Cobain. And begins to go into this big deal. Didn't talk about the exact song that we watched, but it's the same idea. And, and, and he actually read out of, out of one of Kurt's um, um, journals that described the hopelessness that he has. He says, I've got this bottled up for 25 years. I wish there was someone I could share this with, someone I could dump on, someone who I knew wouldn't make fun of me or criticize me, would help me with this, you know. And that was, it was hopelessness, you know. Um, as Christians, we don't have that hopelessness anymore. The world um, has its own Bible, and it is full of despair and hopelessness and darkness and sin and bitterness and envy and jealousies, and it's full. And it, it is a, that, that gospel of the world is constantly being thrust upon us. And, and this Bible that we hold in our hands is the only antidote to that. It's the only op- opposite that's what an antidote is. It's the opposite. It's the antithesis of what we get from the world. It's the only thing out there. Every other religion in the world saddles up and comes alongside of the world's gospel and presents itself in a worldly sort of way. There's no, there's no hope. There's always anxiety. There's no assurance of salvation. There's no, there's no confidence in any other religion other than Christianity. Jesus comes down, gives us this gospel. Paul explains this in Romans that through this, through his word, through the word become flesh, Jesus brings us the antidote to what this world has to offer us. Make no mistake about it. The world has its own Bible and it is preaching constantly and more often than we are. And it is inundating us through every television show, through every newscast, through every periodical that we read, no matter what website we go to, no matter where we go, the, the world's gospel is being preached to not only us, but also to our children constantly. That's why this is so important to have this, to understand this. It causes me to cling to God's word all the more. It's not a life preserver. I mean, it's the boat, it's, it's salvation, it's the rescue, it's everything to get us out of here. So in verse one of chapter five, as we get into this, Paul starts off with therefore, and anytime you read the word therefore, you got to know what it's there for. So we go back a few verses to understand that it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, character produces hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we ask for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide tonight, we we don't say that lightly. We truly need him. We truly need those moments where the Holy Spirit steps in and speaks to us, like I just described in that one story, one of probably five this week. We need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide, and he does not disappoint if we listen, if we pay attention. I'm amazed at how many coincidences there, there are in my life where I think about that, and all of a sudden I hear it, and then I see it, and then I read it. And it's like, okay, I get it. Out of these four witnesses, you want me to think about this or work through this or teach this or whatever. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's break this down because it's a lot. Sometimes when I read Paul's writings, he says some of those Christianese things. It's one thing to say one Christianese thing. You know, you know I can't even think of one. You know what Christianese is. That's when you say something, and most people that aren't believers are like, what are you talking about? You know? uh, Mick, and I, Mick and I just have this wonderful koinonia, don't we, Mick? We just have this koinonia. Right? Some of you are like, coin of what? You know? <laughs> is that quinoa? No, quinoa. No, it's, it's not a grain. It's, it's, it's something that we know because we've been around long enough and been around in the Lord long enough. We know what koinonia is. It's a oneness. It's, a, it's in the spirit. We have fellowship. It's koinonia. We have one with one another, but through, through the Lord. Well, Paul does that sometimes. He strings together these koinonia phrases kind of things. And it's like, okay, we got to break it down a little bit. It's a very simple thing, but Paul's a very heady guy. And so when he teaches, it's up here, you know, and I'm here. And so I'm not assuming you're where I am, but that's the best I can do is teach where I am. So don't, I'm not trying to dumb it down. I'm just saying I'm dumb. So that's why we do it this way. We've been justified. It's a past tense thing. There's no more justification that takes place in my life. I've been justified. And justified, we know, means just as if I'd never sinned. As far as Christ is concerned or the Father's concerned, when he looks upon me, when he looks upon you as a believer, you've been justified by the cross, just as if you'd never sinned. And because of that justification, we have peace with God. Having peace with God is exactly what he's talking about, what we need I didn't come to bring peace on the earth between us, between Mick and I, between anybody and I. He's come to bring peace between God and and man. And so Paul is saying, you have peace with God. You are no longer at war with God. The war is over. Some of you um, can remember what it was like to war with God. I remember it vividly, the war that I would have with the Lord. I didn't consider it war. I would never say that. I think I would always consider myself a believer, grew up in the church. I never hated Jesus. I would never say I hate him. I never said I I was never mad at God. I was just very, very, very distant. And so when the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come upon me when I was sinning or doing something because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, he's constantly at work. 
Believer and unbelievers alike, everybody knows when they're doing something wrong because the Holy Spirit is there to whisper in their ear, don't, you know. And I remember those moments, and I would war with him. When you don't want to hear something from somebody, albeit true, you get angry with them. You don't necessarily uh, say that to their face. We're, We're kind of polite people, but we do it through just distancing ourselves or we just... Um, we alienate ourselves or we alienate them. And that was my response to God. I would never shake my fist at him, but I always just say, you know, out of mind, keep him out of mind. Don't look him in the eye. Don't give that thought any more time in my head. I mean, you talk about pulling your thoughts captive into the obedience of Jesus Christ. The war that I was waging with God was pulling every thought captive into the obedience of my flesh constantly. Don't go there. Don't do that. You know that's wrong. Pull that thought captive and get back into the fun of this. You know, I don't have that war anymore. None of us do. We have peace with God. I no longer have to fight him. It's a whole different world now for me. I no longer fight going to church. Some of you I know still fight going to church. I don't mean to say all young people fight going to church, but I know what it's like to sit there. Um, and I try not to be boring. Maybe I'll move more so that I'm not so boring for people. But I know what it's like as a young person to sit there, and young people got to move. They've got to move, you know. I learned that in Sunday school. When I first started teaching Sunday school, I knew my five- and six-year-olds, there was no way they were sitting down for a Bible study. Keep your hands to yourself. Fold your hands in your lap. Cross your legs and pay attention. That's how you lose everybody in the room by saying that. Because all they want to do is go from cheek to cheek on their, you know, you know, oh, so frustrating. So I tried something new. And you probably heard this story a thousand times, but we dumped Legos on the floor, little piles of Legos everywhere, color crayons, color things, got rid of the tables, got rid of all the chairs. They said, now just go to town, have fun, but I just need you to be quiet while I'm talking. Oh, way better. They could get up, they could move around, they could, they could grab a Lego over here or whatever like that. And I'm teaching them. Nobody's looking at me. Nobody needs to look at me. I knew that. They're all listening. They're all very attentive. They're just not paying attention to me. We as adults say, look me in the eye. Are you paying attention? Yeah. (laughs) Nothing there. And then I had that, who it was, one of the, because all the adults, I can't remember who it was. So all the adults were in the, were in the adult side, and I was teaching these kids. And at the time, you guys, you guys think you have, we had 16 kids in class. I had 22, and I was by myself without a helper. I don't know. I understand it's hard. And we don't want to set you up for failure, but you can do it. So I'm sitting there, and I'm doing that. I'm teaching them, and I know I got about, I got about three and a half minutes, you know. And I taught them. And in that three and a half minutes, someone was reaching around the corner, someone who could walk around the corner. I don't remember who it was. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but they didn't get it. They said, they're not even listening to you. They're not even paying attention because they didn't think I was doing my job as a teacher. And so I asked a question. I said, I said, who are we talking about? Anybody raise their hand. And five hands went up. They didn't even look at me. There's, I don't remember. Hey, Timmy, I don't know the kid's name. Timmy, who is it? Elijah. Bob or Fred or Gina or whatever your name is over there. What, what, did, what did Elijah do? He let the place on fire. Did he let the whole place on fire? No, God brought fire down and consumed the, the sacrifices. Now go away, you adult. 
go away. You don't know what you're talking about. We have peace with God. We want to, when I come to church, I love coming to church. I love reading my Bible. I love praying. That's become a part of my life. It wasn't always that easy. I just asked a brother on the way inside here. I said, hey, how's so-and-so doing? Oh, they're okay. I said, well, I haven't seen them in a while. I didn't know. I'm not bringing any condemnation. I just hadn't been able to ask him personally how things are going. I just want to know how he's doing. Well, he's struggling. I said, been there. I've had the people knocking on my door saying, you coming to church this morning? You coming to church? No, I'm too tired. I know what it's like to kind of have one foot in, one foot out. And you really want to be there, but oh, I'm so tired. You know, I'd just rather not be. I, I've struggled with that. But I'm to the place now for 30 years. I, I can't imagine being anyplace else on Wednesday nights. I'd feel weird to be anyplace else on a Wednesday night for me. Or on a Sunday morning. It's so weird when we go on vacation. It's like Sunday morning. You know, I don't know. You know what that means. It's like, I got I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted to worship. I'm addicted to people. I'm addicted to God. And that's different now. So I understand where you are. And I want you to know God understands that, especially younger folks. Just continue, continue. That's all I can say. And it becomes everything to you. It becomes second nature. We have peace with God. I have peace with God. You have peace with God. We're no longer at war. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access. Not only we have peace with God, but now we have access to God. Never had access before to God. Now I can walk up to God and talk to him anytime I want to. I mean, I guess I kind of always did, but never with sincerity and never expecting an answer from him. Just kind of would talk to him every once in a while. But now I have access to him, access to this grace that he has for me. The access is like my kids have with me. My kids have special access. I know everybody wants access, but you're not going to get the kind of access my kids have access. Jenny, she's got a lot of access to me, you know. But you have that, and I have that same access to God. There is no rigmarole that you've got to go through. I try to think of as many funny old sayings as I can um, my kids kind of get a kick out of that. What was some of the, uh, like when you're lollygagging and, and all these funny things, rigmarole, there's a new one for you. There's no steps to go through to go to God. I was thinking about sometimes when I sin, you do a big one, you know, and you're like, ah, I'm just going to let God cool off a little bit before I go talk to him. You don't feel like you can come to him. You don't feel like this is the time to pray. The moment after sin, you don't say, I ah, just really kind of, you just, I'm going to sit over here for a while, maybe in a couple days, when everything cools down, I might talk to you about this kind of thing. You just kind of take yourself out for a little bit. You hide a little bit. We don't have that kind of access. We have that other kind of access. Not like a teenager who's wrecked the car and is afraid to go tell mom and dad. We have a different kind of access to God now. To freely come to that throne of grace and mercy in time of need. I will never, ever be disappointed. I, I think that's our biggest fear is we're going to show up and look at God's face. And that's every kid's fears. They're going to look at their mom and dad's face and see that face of disappointment. That's what they want to avoid when they don't come and talk to us. I don't want to tell my parents. Why? Because I know that face of disappointment. God doesn't have that face for you. 
I don't understand that, but he does not have that face for us. It doesn't matter what we do. My access to God is not dependent upon my, my, my performance that day, my lack of sin. You don't have to be good for 48 hours, and then maybe you can come and have access to God. It's just always an instant. Paul is trying to bring that out to the brothers and sisters reading this letter. Do you know you have peace with God? You're not at war with him anymore, or at least he's not at war with you. And he's going to explain that, that while you were still enemies of God, he died on the cross for your sins. That's how not at war you are. While you could care less, while you hated him, while you were his actual enemy, he died on the cross for your sins. We have access to that grace. And because of that access to that grace, that's how we stand. Cower, sit, grovel. No, we stand. We can stand in our faith. There's a special kind of pride that comes along with, and a good kind of pride, not the pride that we're supposed to avoid, but a pride in my God where I can stand with him. You know, He doesn't want me, okay, now you got to grovel. I, I see these, I see people, I see holy people, even some holy people that claim Christ as their Lord and Savior, they spend a lot of time groveling as if that helps or as if that's pleasing to him. And I don't think they understand what they're doing. What they're saying is, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, but I'm going to grovel to make it better. I'm going to make myself more presentable to you than the righteousness of Christ that you've imputed to me. I'm going to make my knees scarred from climbing up the steps or from kneeling and going on my knees all the way around Saint so-and-so. Sorry, too fine a point on it. And then I have access to God. Then he'll really hear my pleas and my prayers and my petitions. And that's offensive to him. No, I provided access through my son, Jesus Christ. You can add nothing to it. And to think that you can is to diminish his work on the cross. It makes it less. And it makes you more. It's a prideful thing. I can stand. You can stand. And we rejoice in the hope and glory of God. All Paul's saying is, to these believers is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And now you have peace with God. You're not enemies with him anymore. And you have access to his grace as much as you need. It'd be like trying to empty the the ocean with a spoon and you got seven days to do it. Not going to happen. And now you can rejoice in the hope of glory. In other words, you're going to heaven no matter what, because you trust in Jesus. You can rest in that. And not only that, that's part of it. Now, salvation seems to be like a big deal and it is, but Paul's saying that's not all. That's not all. And there's more, you know. It's like you get two knives for $19.99, and then there's more kind of thing. Well, Paul's got this excellent point, and I hope we hear that today because this has been on my heart lately for all of you people. I've been praying for you, and myself, of course, but I've been praying more and more about this. And not only that, he says, but we also glory in tribulations. As much as I glory in the hope of salvation and being in heaven with God, Paul says we glory in tribulations. It's a choice, but you can glory in them. Because here's what happens, he says. Knowing that this is why we glory in tribulations. We don't just say, yay, I'm getting beat up for beating up's sake. No, it's because this tribulation produces in ourselves perseverance. Tribulation separates the the wannabes 
from the genuine. Perseverance is what is shown in the mature believer. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what life throws at me, people throw at me, I am God's and I walk with God. I have a tight relationship with Jesus regardless of how my day goes or whether I have a bad day or a good day or a sunny day or a rainy day or a rich day or a poor day. I walk with the Lord. It produces perseverance. Perseverance then when you can make it through, produces character in you. And that's what we talked about on Sunday. When David writes that psalm, it's about, hey, look, there's a character here. There's character in a Christian. I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad that grace covers all of, all of your sins and there's mercy and all. But we also got to straighten up and fly right. And so character is produced in us through perseverance. I read something that kind of bothered me. Imagine that. Um, Satan is, is constantly trying to divide us, and I think that's probably one of the biggest wars we have in a church is the division that Satan brings into the church. He just is always, it doesn't matter what it is. There's all sorts of different divisions. There's age division. Ah, you young people. Ah, you old people. There's that. There's money. Ah, you rich people. Oh, you poor people. Well, I don't know if anybody says that but out loud, but, you know, there's just, there's division. You're a man or you're a woman or whatever, you know. There's another division here that has to do with character that kind of bothers me. It's like a, it's a new one. It, it seems so subtle. There is this attitude, and I, I don't know if I can say it exactly how I read it, but it's like um, Jesus didn't only die for the well-dressed, the well-behaved, for the financially secure. He also died for the rest of us and then described those that don't go to church, those that forget, those that don't get dressed, those that don't whatever. I'm thinking about that. I'm like, why does that bother me? Because it's a division. Since when do we look at people who've been walking with Jesus Christ and he's entered into their life and he's brought from chaos to order, why do we look down upon that? As if that is something that's not the ideal, that's, that's, that's not what we want in our lives. That's ridiculous. It's a division and it bothers me. Over time, as you walk with the Lord longer and longer, and whether you're starting off now, please understand this is the progression and you will get there. Or whether you're there right now, congratulations. I mean, that is the whole point. We're being conformed into the image of Christ. I can't help it if I took a shower this morning on Sunday morning and wanted myself to look better and I dressed appropriately. Not because that's what we're expected to do, but because I wasn't lazy about it. I got dressed. I did myself. I got myself prepared to come meet the Lord. I spent time in prayer. I'm not spending my money on stupid stuff anymore. I'm saving my money now. I'm denying my flesh and taking care of those who are coming after me, my, my offspring, my children. I'm not thinking about myself anymore. I'm thinking about others now. It's okay that my life has gone from chaos and confusion to order now that Christ has come into my life, that's a, a wonderful blessing. That's, and there's more. Yeah, he saved you from your sin, but he's also going to produce a new character that's going to make you a wonderful example of Christ in someone's life. It's a division to say things like that. It's to say that we're the real off-scouring of the earth. We're the real lowlifes over here that Jesus loved, the scum. Well, okay but we're being conformed and changed and renewed in the mind and in the heart. And when you begin to think and act like Jesus, things change in your life for the better. 
you're still going to have problems and trials and difficulties and sicknesses. And of course, that's all going to take place. And those are the tribulations. But going through those things without a doubting faith produces perseverance and produces character. There's nothing wrong with character. It should never be looked down upon. And that character produces hope. Character is the evidence that God does work in someone's life. If I'm the same character I was when I first got saved or even before I was saved, then the gospel is powerless. I'm to be changed. I'm to be different. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's a wonderful thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Please remember that in your life. That as God tries to bring your chaotic, confused mind out of darkness and into light, it will become more orderly. It just does. Christ doesn't live in disorder. He doesn't want to stay there. He's taking you out of disorder. He wants you to come with him from disorder to order. Exodus thirteen eighteen. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. You'd think they'd be running for their lives from slavery. Yeah, me first, you know. Yeah. No, no, slow down. Carts, women and children, fighting men in the back because it might take us. You know, there's just an order. Even the escape and the walking out of Egypt and the leaving of the world, because that's what Egypt represents, comes in an orderly way. God picks and chooses his battles in your life. We're going to take care of this now. Well, I know, but I need help with this, 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 and this. Yep, but we're going to take care of this now. Do this. And then we're going to work on this, because they're connected. You don't know how, but I'm telling you, they're all connected, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. He begins to work these things out. The Holy Spirit is orderly and effective. Psalm 50, verse 23, whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Colossians 2, 5, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. When Paul says, I'm coming to Colossia, I want to see that good order, an orderly church, things that are done well and appropriately. I was convicted when I went down to uh, Grace Calvary. It was a good time. It was a wonderful time of prayer. It was more of a worship night than anything. They had baptisms and everything. But it, uh, it brought some conviction, which is good, which is why you go, right? Um, instead of in passing saying, you know what? Oh, don't forget tonight's prayer. Don't forget, prayer. They made it an event. It's a deal. They put work into it. They're excited about it. They wanted to be there. They're, they're gumming. I mean, of course, I want you all to come to prayer. I think that's the most important thing we could ever do as a fellowship. And I don't want to browbeat people into coming to prayer, but I also know that on my part as a pastor, as a leader, did I make an event out of it? Am I excited about it? Do I let you know I'm excited about it? Is there anything that it would indicate that I'm not struggling to get there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, saying it's Sunday afternoon, i got to go to church and pray. Well, of course everybody would follow that, you know. So it's convicting in a great way for me. It's an event. Church needs to be in order. 
We've got some exciting things coming up here, and not for the sake of excitement, but for the sake of letting you know the youth night is a blessing. I'd encourage you to come. I'd encourage you to be a part of it. The women's luncheon is going to be amazing. You have no idea the kind of work that Jenny puts into these teachings. If you've ever taught, maybe you do. But she's up every morning going over her notes, redoing her notes, erasing her notes, coming up with more notes, redoing her notes. She'll do that all the way up till the night of. Never see her so worked up. I almost dread it. (laughs) Oh, it's women's luncheon time. Oh, three months of this, you know, kind of thing. She pours her heart out into it. She knows how important it is. Anyway, order. It's a good thing. God brings order to our lives. Verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies. We were stories all the time. And then he went into the fire burning building and he grabbed that kid. Oh, that's great. That's a wonderful thing. It's rare that someone has that kind of courage and bravery, but it's there and we see stories about it. This is a whole new level. This is for someone who's your enemy. Think of an enemy. And then pray for that enemy, but besides that, would you take a bullet for that enemy? I think of a couple high-ranking officials in our government that it would be very hard for me. And that shows me my heart. Because Christ did. You want to talk about taking a bullet? He took a bullet for everybody, regardless of whether they liked him or not. And while I was still at war with God, he died on the cross for my sin. He demonstrates his love. Please underline that. God demonstrated his love towards us. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. The cross is the most beautiful expression of God's love, the most pure expression of God's love. And he will constantly throughout his word, point us to that whenever we doubt about God's word. When he wants to share his love, he says, look to the cross, look to Calvary. That's why we call ourselves Calvary Chapel. It's not because it's a catchy name and it did well in, you know, marketing. I don't think it does. Because we always want to point people to the hill, the place where the cross was, Calvary. And we sing songs about Calvary. Because that's the place that God demonstrated his love for us. That's what we hold on to. Because while I was still his enemy, spitting on him and sticking spears in his side and nailing him to a cross, and that's why I broke when I got saved, because I watched that happen. I knew it was me, pounding the nails into his hand, and I saw the love that he had for me. That's the power of the cross. So Paul's trying to explain that to them because this is foreign to them, especially the Jews who are just trying to figure this stuff out. Like, it's really awkward to talk about our king, the Messiah, as a suffering Messiah on a cross. He says, not at all. That's exactly what a good king does. He's trying to explain that to them. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were, uh, for if when we were enemies... Uh, We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. He says it like three times there, reconcile, reconcile, reconciliation. It's a very important thing. had a sweet gal um, tell me at um, at the potluck about, she, today's the day of reconciliation, she said. 
and I don't want to tell the whole story because it's a private matter, but not for me, but with a loved one of hers. And she just went and did it. And she just, I really felt God saying, this is the day for reconciliation, reconciliation. And then this comes up, you know, in the teaching today, the reconciliation. If you've ever had, and, and I have to use children as an example, this isn't a slight to, to people that are single. Please don't, I wish they'd stop talking about families all the time. I, it's not that, it's not that single people, it's that God uses families. He uses uh, parents and children of parents as an example of his relationship with us. So that's the only reason I bring it up. It's not to make anybody else feel like they're less. It's, it's, I want you to know this. As a parent who has a child who no longer wants to talk to them anymore or is mad at them, or for whatever reason, it's my job as a parent to get them to reconcile, to get them to talk, to get them to have a relationship. It's my job as a parent. And we understand that's why God gave us little people and didn't make us pop out of the mud like he did Adam and Eve, you know? He made us go through this so we know what it's like. This is what it's like parenting, you know? As a father in heaven, this is what it's like. I'm, I'm constantly trying to get you to talk to me. Come out of your room. Private, keep out. Let me in. We need to talk. That's our father constantly. And we're like these teenagers. No, nah, I don't mean teenagers. Any kid. No, you know, kind of thing. Take your earbuds out. Talk to me. That reconciliation. God knew we were never going to reconcile ourselves to him. We were just not going to do it. Not interested. And so God did what he needed to do. I will reconcile myself to you. Was it his place? Was it his responsibility? Of course not. It was ours. We're the ones that did the wrong thing. We're the ones in sin. We're the ones that ran away. And yet our Father in heaven steps out and says, I want to be reconciled to you. I want to have a relationship with you. Please talk to me. Please live forever with me. I never wanted to see you go. Breaks my heart. And while we were still enemies in that rebellious state, he died on the cross for our sins and brought that reconciliation. And Paul is enamored with God's love because of that. You can't work it. That's why the prodigal son never gets a word out of his mouth. Because it had nothing to do with an apology. It had everything to do with the father receiving him back. In Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 24, we're going to get to it in a couple weeks, but I thought this is appropriate. Although we've been reconciled and although um, God died while we were still enemies, this is, this is the problem we have. This, I find then a law, Paul says to the Romans, that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, that's the one. That's the one who's Fighting, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He answers that question in chapter 8. Paul's going through the same thing and understands what everybody goes through. We all war that way. I really, really want, you know what I want to be? I want to be the nice guy. I want to be calm. I see attributes in other men that I just completely admire. So how are they so peaceful? How are they so calm? Why am I such a spaz? You know, my poor kids and my wife has to live with this spastic man, you know, kind of thing. And I want that. Or a man who's not flipping about his time or, or 
his feelings or whatever, you know, it's just stable. And that, that is in my body. I think that's in everybody. Every single one of us wants to be the good person. We want to be the person who's above it, who's forgiving, who's gracious, who's merciful, who's loving, who sees past all of that and sees the really, the real person inside of you. You know, we all want that. And then I have that other side of me. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. You know, I've got this flesh in me that desires to do the exact opposite of what I really want to do. And Paul says, I struggle with this. I'm a wretched man. I don't know this war going on in my members. Who's going to deliver me? Christ will. Christ does. It's the Holy Spirit. Can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Therefore, just as though, or just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, and, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, pause. This is a parenthetical statement that is like one of the longest ones I've ever read. And so I'm going to skip down to verse 18. So we're going to go from 12 to 18, and then I'll go back and hit those verses. But I want you to read it in Paul's thought process. The parenthetical is like, and you know, and he tries to fill in some gaps and then finish his thought. Well, that's impossible when you read three paragraphs. So starting in 12, then jump to 18. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's obedience, many were made sinners, or disobedience, one man, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. He's trying to explain to them, it's reasonable that because sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and we all got the benefits of that. Thanks a lot, Adam, we say. Likewise, salvation came the same way through the second Adam, the second man, the, the final man, the only man, Jesus Christ, and he brought salvation the same way. That though, although we have this relationship with Adam, which brought us sin, your relationship with Christ can bring you forgiveness is the idea. Now, here's his sentence. Here's his statement. Because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him, Jesus, who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. And here's the difference. For if by one man's offense many died, much more grace of God and the gift uh, by grace, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Okay? And I'm reading this kind of choppy, but um, it's a lot. I, I know it's a lot. So he's, he's just making a very simple comparison, but he, uses, he says it like seven different ways is what he's doing. Okay? So it's not like that at all, but it's exactly like that is what he's trying to say. Okay? Okay, let's finish. Um, Verse 16. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. That was hardly a gift. For the judgment which came from one offense, or from one offense, resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. I know. You got to chew on that and chew on that. And I did. And I prayed. Here's what I came up with. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 45 through 49. He speaks of this to the Corinthian church. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. In other words, the first man, Adam, had to come first. The life-giving spirit had to come second. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's us. And as in the heavenly man, so are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Very, very simply, probably too simple. But remember where I am. I'm down here. I always thought it was unfair that Adam sinned and I got the results of it. I thought, how come everybody doesn't get a chance to stand at that tree? How come because he ate of that tree, I have to bear the responsibility of him? You know, but the Bible says that I only bear the responsibility of my own sins. How can I bear the response? So I argue with him about that. And then he describes Christ. How is that fair? How is it that one man going to a cross takes care of my sins? How does that work? I don't know, but I like it, you know. That one I don't like, this one I do like. It's the same thing. And there's a lot going on here, but it's the same thing. The idea here is this. Um, very, I try to do it as simple as possible. As much as I can see in my life the evidence that I'm a descendant of Adam, whether it's his sins of eating and I've got this sin nature or the choices I've personally made in my life, I can see the evidence that I am definitely his great, 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 great grandson, you know, kind of thing. We bear that image. He wants us to be as sure after we've been brought into the family of God that we absolutely look like Jesus Christ. As much as I think I look like Adam because he was a wicked creep and I'm a wicked creep, I want you to know, and he wants us to know, that just like Christ is a perfect man, God sees you as a perfect man or woman. Just like that. It's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but that's what he's saying. Have the same assurance. And as we're in the middle, and we have these two things warring against us, be like Christ, be like Adam. We have that battle going on. The longer you walk with Lord, and the more you're filled with the Spirit, and you walk in the Spirit, the less you look like him. And the more you look like God, the more I starve this flesh, the more I kill it in my life with extreme prejudice, the more I stop listening to the world Bible of hopelessness, darknesses, sin, all those things that come into my life. And the more I meditate on those things which are pure and lovely, we begin to look more like him and we're conformed into his image. And that is the process. God is stronger and he's pulling us in the right direction. All I have to do is turn and walk. Verse 20, we'll finish up. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He wants us to know that. He wants them to know that. I think we know that for the most part. We talk about that all the time. We spend a lot of time talking about grace. Sometimes when we read things in the Bible, we're like, Maybe there's more. Maybe I'm not getting it. Maybe I need to relearn that section. No, you probably understand grace better than even these Romans did. 
because you've experienced it and you've walked in it. And this is a, maybe a first time hearing for them. First time they've ever come in contact with it. So it has to be explained to them. So we're reminded, since you already know, that like the ocean is full and you have a teaspoon and you're trying to exhaust God's grace, you know it's impossible. And that's to bring us assurance of our salvation. If you were ever to run out of water, now you're in trouble. But you never can, so you're not in trouble. He wants us to have that assurance of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Rom, uh, Paul's patience to write to the Romans and his intent in his heart was to make sure they understood if he ever or never got there, they would at least have the basics and a thorough explanation of the faith. And so we're excited to go through this book that we might know or even know more assuredly that our salvation in you, Jesus Christ, is steadfast. We stand in it. We have access to that grace. There is no waiting period. There is no works that we must do to make ourselves available or have access to you. We thank you for that, God. We thank you that we're not at war with you anymore, that we have peace, that you've made that way, that you've reconciled us to you, that there's no disappointment on your face. There is no looking away from us. You look us right in the eye. Because of all that, we want to do the right thing. We want to be those people. We want to be just like you. We're sorry about our sin. We're sorry about our sinful nature. We're sorry about that war that goes on in our body. We really do reconcile. We are reckon that man dead. We, we, we want it dead. None of us want that rising up again. None of us want our flesh winning, ever. So God, help us to walk in the spirit that we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Help us to focus on what you want us to do. The salvation we have in you, the joy, the light that you bring into our life, that you're bringing us towards. So our back would naturally be to the darkness. That's our heart, God. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.